Tonight we'll be talking about the rich young ruler. You may have read that story before, but I, I, I want to look at some things because, you know, this is one of those stories that people say, oh, look, the contradiction and those kind of things are kind of fun to look at because you see that the Lord is showing us something and teaching us something in the process of this story. Now, listen, evangelism is a beautiful thing. There's nothing more beautiful than than the simplicity of the gospel. It's so life-changing, and it will blow your mind. Now, the question is, how are people hearing the gospel and their life not being changed? That's a question that, that, that really can, you know, how can you sit under the gospel for year after year and not be changed? You see, the gospel transcends uh, nationalities. It transcends social economic status. It transcends time. What worked at the Sea of Galilee 2,000 years ago still works today. The gospel has never changed and it never will. So when you look at this, we look at the story of the rich young ruler. We will see the life-changing effect that the gospel has the potential to have because you will see the one who presented the gospel is Jesus Christ. Now listen, the only way to please God is to acknowledge your inability to please God apart from Christ. That's what we will see in this story. Now one of the, and I want to talk about evangelism because we that are saved need to be about our Father's business, evangelizing the lost. But also, we must be sure that we are in. I don't like to just take for granted that everybody that is under the sound of my voice is saved or is following God. And the reason I say that is because I was so long under the gospel, yet unconverted, unchanged. So I don't just take that for granted. This happened to me growing up, so that's why I'm telling you it's a real, it's a real fact in my life. Now, if you look at the gospel presentation, this is done by Christ himself. So throughout this message, I want you to put yourself in the rich young ruler's place. Now, you will see the gospel pre- pre- presented with no addition, no filler, no excuse. But I want to say something here. One of the key scriptures that fuels me is when I I always go to the thought process of in the Bible, there's a scripture that really haunts me. It's the things when Jesus would say, few will find it. Narrow is the way. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not do this and that? These spiritual things. So it puts a conviction in me to, number one, always check myself where I am with the Lord. And number two, anybody that is under the teaching that you are never going to be one of those people that say, but Lord, I went to family life. I did this. I had a life group. I did all of these things because I'm telling you, in my mind's eye, I can picture the complete and utter shock of people that thought they were following God. And ultimately, they were just following the knowledge of God. Deception is one of the strongest things on this earth today. In the last days, many will be deceived. If even the elect would be deceived. 
So you have to keep in mind, in the gospel, the main thing is the main thing. That Jesus Christ be your all in all. Now as we look at this, I want to give you a couple of scriptures. Now I want to preface this by saying when we get into the story of the rich young ruler, the context is eternal life. It's not a deeper level of discipleship. It's not a more intense following after Christ. It's getting into the kingdom. John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. John 8, 31 and 32. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now listen. The issue that I want to deal with is deception of false security. Deception of false security. Listen, a lot of people think because I prayed a prayer, I'm in. There's a lot of people in hell today that prayed a prayer. Now, I want you to see something. It's not agreeing with the fact that Jesus died for me. It's the acknowledging that I'm giving all of my life to Jesus. Read the words of Jesus in the Gospels. I wonder how many people are in false security. I was in false security. Look at yourself internally. Say, if I'm the rich young ruler and Jesus present the gospel to me, am I just an eager seeker or am I a wanting to be a disciple of Christ? Listen, looking at my own life, I did the Christian thing. I would go to, to pastors and say, man, I just don't know if I'm saved. And they would say, well, did you pray a prayer? Well, yeah, I mean, many times. Did you get baptized? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you come to church, so that's fruit. Oh, okay. Well, the devil's just trying to condemn you. Just tell him to leave you alone. So I'd walk away, go back to where I was going, drink alcohol down like water, take any drug that was available and think I'm in because Christ loves me unconditionally. So I must be right with God. Now, these other Christians that are sitting in church are sure missing a lot. Because if we go into the same place, I'm going to enjoy me here. Because I went to the people that were in spiritual authority and they told me I was saved. But yet I would go to my mom and dad and they would say, man, you ain't saved. <laughs> so I said all that to say. I, I can't answer that question for you. Nobody in church can answer that question for you. But the Holy Spirit himself will answer the question. Now, as we look at this story, you will see that this rich young ruler could have got on any role in any church, possibly, but not in the book of life. Think about this. Let's read the story. Matthew 19, 16 through 22. It says, and behold, one came to him and said, teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I have kept. 
what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieved for he was one who owned much property. Now, in today's mentality, Jesus himself would have failed, would have failed evangelism 101. How do I enter, get eternal life? Keep the law. <laughs> that don't make sense. But listen, we don't line up our evangelistic approach. We don't make Jesus line up his evangelistic approach to us. We line up to him. So there is a reason why Jesus did this. This is no contradiction whatsoever. You ready to go? <laughs> Verse 16, he simply asked, how can I receive eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. Now, keep, keep this in mind. The key to evangelism is getting people to come to the point where they need salvation. And then you give them the answer, which is Christ. See, there's a lot of, you know, just giving the gospel, but there's no conviction. So somebody's like, oh, man, I say this all the time. I'll say it again. God has a wonderful plan for my life. I have a wonderful plan for my life. This is going to work out great. If Jesus has a wonderful plan for my life and he has the power to make it happen, I'm in. And that's a lot of times the way it happens. But for there to be good news, there must be bad news. If I come to a healthy person and say, hey, man, I want to give you some chemo, they're going to say, man, get that thing out of my face. I don't need no chemo. Unless the doctor tells you, you have cancer, chemo is of no value. So if you look at it, when you look at the gospel, you come in by realizing that I cannot please God by myself. I can't. You can try all you want. How many good works is enough? You will always come to that point. That's where the rich young ruler was. He was the perfect target to walk the aisle. There was no reason to prove to him that God exists, there was no reason to prove the Bible exists. This dude was not an atheist. He was looking to the right one, and he was asking the right question. But Jesus points him to the law. <laughs> now, here's what he did right. Number one, talking about the rich young ruler, his reason was correct. Matthew 19, 16. What shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? So he knew what he needed. He needed eternal life. He was not looking for prosperity. He was not looking for an emotional felt need to be met. Now, let's look at this story is in three of the Gospels, but let's connect it and put it all together. The, Matthew says that he was young and rich, and Luke says that he was a ruler. So when you look at all of this, what does this mean? That he was a rich, young ruler. I mean, he was a ruler in the synagogue, which means that he was one of basically like one of the Pharisees. He was one of those that ruled in the synagogue. He was, now keep this in mind. This brings a, a yet another honorable thing about this man. The fact that he was a ruler and still felt empty. Think about that. That's religion. Doing all these things. He knew that there was something different in spite of all the activity that he was doing. Doing all kind of things in the name of the Lord, and yet he still felt empty. He's saying, what he was saying is, I'm doing these things, and yet I'm still not satisfied. Point number two, he started humbly with the right outlook. Now, if you, if you think about it, he had the right outlook on his spiritual life. He was not prideful at first because you see his approach. 
and he appears to show deep desire. See, many people don't even desire eternal life. They, 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 they have no clue about it. He was desperate. This is how we know. When you read the story in Mark 10, 17 through 18, it says, As he was setting out on his journey, meaning Jesus, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? Now listen, he was more bold than Nicodemus. Nicodemus snuck by at night and was asking, Hey, Jesus, uh, me and the guys were talking and we just... I'm curious, actually. Wait, they got people looking. Come over here. I'm just wondering, how do I obtain eternal life? You see, but the rich young ruler, he jetted, moved people out the way probably, threw himself at the feet of Jesus. Now, you know there was always Pharisees, like that ex-girlfriend checking you out on Facebook, like, hmm, he happy now. You know, look what he's doing now, stalking. Like people that hate LSU, they watch every game. Hate LSU, but just waiting to see somebody pull a hamstring or moving on. (laughs) But he came boldly and publicly, which is very commendable. You look at that, you're like, man, this guy wants eternal life. So he comes up acknowledging that he did not have eternal life. Now, the Pharisees were like, we got eternal life. We keep the law. This guy at some point broke away and was like, he has the words of eternal life. I'm going to him. This could have totally ruined his reputation. So you see, that would have been a good time to say, hey, man, stand up. Just pray this prayer. Pray this prayer. Ask ask me into your heart, which is never in the Bible. The Holy Spirit will come on the inside of you. But when you want to come to the Lord, you say, Lord, you are king. I have blown it. I cannot please you. My desire is to be your servant. Oh, but not only am I get to, and Jesus is like, look, servant, you're my son. You're my daughter. You're my child. And we, you know, so we go to God like, God, I'm not even worthy to be called, you know, I'm not even worthy to be called a slave. I'm not even worthy to to even be at your feet. And he's like, I know that. But look, look right here. You see Jesus? Jesus paid the penalty. So when I see you, I see him. So you are my child and I love you with all of my heart. Enter into the kingdom. That's the only way in. Now, if you keep going, Matthew 1230, I want to say something Real quick, because I'm going to give you a little bit of my testimony in this, because the Lord kept saying, that's you, Kelly. You did you did this because you read the story and you're like, I'm not rich. I'm not a young ruler. None of these things. But the Lord kept bringing me back to this story. But listen, this is where you will come into the story at some point in, in your in your life. When I was in the world, I was living it up. I had a deep knowledge of knowing that I was not right with God. I knew this, and I still would not surrender. Now, now the, the, the Holy Spirit would always woo me because I had my mom, and da- my mom and dad praying like two doberman pinches on a leash about to track me down, and I'd feel convicted in the bar, and I'd be like, man, I shouldn't be doing this. But the more I would get convicted, the more angry and more off the deep end I was wanting to go. See, I didn't hate God because I respected him. Because I, I was in church. Now, Matthew 12, 30 says, he who is not with me is against me. We don't like that, but that's what Jesus said. James 4, 4. I'm going to give you two more scriptures. 
You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's a fact. Okay? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. What God did is said, I don't want to be enemies. So I'm giving you the best that I have here. This is what I have to offer you. I'm giving you this before you even know that there is a problem. I'm going to give you the solution. And yet we walk around and saying, oh, God, what's wrong with God? What's this and that? And there's people that are going to die and go to hell and say, I I did this. I did that. I, I don't understand why I'm not here. And meanwhile, we're spitting on the cross when we reject Jesus Christ. Now, John 12, 25 through 26 says, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Listen, anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me. This is not like you got insurance and then you got that extra insurance you can get. That's not what this is. You can't go buy a cancer policy when you already have insurance. It's all in or nothing. And he says, because my servants must be where I am and the father will honor anyone who serves me. You know where Jesus was doing everything he could for the father, obeying him, trusting him, walking out of walking with him. So he so we must believe, which means to entrust him and serve him. That was far from what I wanted to do. Listen, I loved my lifestyle. I had a lot of friends and we had a lot of fun. And it was a lot of bad fun. So I wasn't following him. In my mind I was, but I was like Peter following from a distance. Denying him with my lifestyle before not even just one girl, the whole world. So yeah, I was following him, but I was at a distance. But I wasn't serving him. I was serving my conscience. That's two different deals. You can think you're serving the Lord. No, you, you could be serving your conscience. Oh, I did some bad things. Let me go to church. Well, you're serving your conscience, not necessarily, not necessarily the Lord. Now, of course, I didn't entrust my everything to him because God kept putting his finger on my lifestyle. My abundant worldly possession of a lot of land in this world. That's how I come into the spot of the rich young ruler. If you think about it, and let me tell you something else here. As I would go further and further, I knew that it was, it was getting worse and worse. It's almost like the devil said, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. Come on, just, oh, it's all good, keep coming. Because I know, I know deep within myself, I cannot explain it, Death was awaiting me. I knew it. And the more I got convicted, the more mad I would get. So it literally was a tug of war for the soul. Now, if you understand this, you understand what it means to get saved because you, you fight, you fuss, you, I don't want, I want to do this. But eventually you get to a point where you wave your white flag. And I surrendered to his loving kindness and patience. That he had with me. His love literally chased me down, grabbed a hold of me, picked me up, and instantly conviction and love was permeating within my soul at the same time. 
I didn't feel condemned. I didn't feel like I'm going to bash you over the head. It's like God was saying, come see. You're making a mess of this. Come here. (laughs) I mean, praise God for that. Listen, I would sit in service and hear these wonderful hymns. And I would feel so convicted. I would grip the, the, I'd grip the chair and I'd be like, what's the point of walking up again? I'm just going to go right back. I would hear, you know, I would hear people, t- I would hear preaching. And I would say, man, amen, I, I agree with that. I begin to see that God loved me because I would see the cross. I would see that look what he did. Listen, I know that preaching on hell is not very popular today. I know they've got some people that, man, they spend 30 minutes on hell and 10 minutes on the good news. And they've beaten you up the whole time. And you can say what you want about that. I don't agree with that method. But I do believe in preaching on hell. I do believe on preaching on what eternity is like aside from Christ. Because listen, a man sat up and preached hell, showed me, because I didn't even realize I deserved it. Because I had, he loves me, he loves me unconditionally. But I kept going, kept going. He preached on it. And it changed my life, not in a bad way, okay? Not in a, like, fear-mongering way. It was in a way that I came face-to-face with reality, with reality. There was a choice in front of me, and I said, Kelly, you got to make a choice. Because you think you love God, but you really don't. You love yourself, and you love the idea of going to heaven. But when I made that choice, I said, God, I remember sitting on the front of the pew, crying, weeping, knowing what I was doing, knowing that I was evil. See, we don't want to say we're evil. If you're aside from Christ, you're evil. Understand that. Because when you understand that, you see a need for righteousness. Why do you want mercy if you don't feel like you need it? Look in the mirror. You know you. You know the thoughts you have. If you don't, you lie to yourself. The sin nature is fueling everything that God is against. And you could ease it in your mind. You could say, oh, well, God God loves me. He does love you. That's why he sent Jesus. But there's nothing else he can do if you choose to reject him. If God broke the rules, he would not be God. He would be an unrighteous judge. And he himself would condemn himself. But he does not have that ability because he is the standard and he will always keep it in every situation, good or if we deem it bad. So understand that God doesn't buckle. He has given everything. Would you give your kid for your neighbor? (laughs) Think of the worst person. You might give it to a good somebody, a good guy. But I'm talking the guy that worships Satan. Would you give your kid for him? Would you say, oh, you need a sacrifice here? Take Johnny. There's no way you would do that. Are you better than God? Because God did. God said, here, all of you evil people, here. And then we put our faith and trust in that sacrifice, and out comes life, and life more abundantly. That's the key. That's why you can't do this thing on your own. Listen. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. And it would be so disrespectful if I told you what that filthy rag was in the Bible. But that's what God says the greatest things that you could do. If you go on a tangent and do good works 24-7 for 40 years, when you get to God, he's going to say, I ain't letting you in. Well, God, look all the things I did. We don't allow those things in here. 
You come through Christ. That's the only way in. And that's the good thing, because sometimes you don't do good things. <laughs> Everybody's like, I do good things. You do more bad or do nothing more than the good things you do. Everybody thinks when they get up there, they're going to get on a scale. Every scale is going to tip in the evil column, I promise you. So there is nothing good that you can do to be right with God. We say this all the time because I want you to understand that. Empty yourself of you and go to God and say, God, let's be honest here. You know me. I know me. And I should not even be in your eye eye shot. But like David said, what are you that you are even mindful of me? See, you are the apple of God's eye. I know, that's, I'm like, really? But that's where the grace comes in. Listen, if you don't believe you deserve eternal wrath, then it's hard for you to understand the mercy aspect of God because you'll, you'll trample it just like I did. If God loves me, then there's no way he's going to send me to hell. But here's the thing. We walk out of God's graces and say, God, I want to go to hell because I ain't serving Jesus. I want to do what I want to do, and you're going to have to accept it. And God's like, it's not how it works up here. I'm holy. I'm righteous. I love you with everything that is in me because look at Christ. He is everything that I am, and I gave my life for you, not just for all these people, for you. So come in. Stop fighting me. Surrender. I would win in a fight. I don't want to fight. You're an enemy of me. But Christ is the one that drops the drawbridge and says, now come in. If you don't understand that, you don't understand the gospel. That's why it's good news. If there is bad, if there's good news, there must be bad news. Listen, it's no different than politicians. They say they're for America, but yet side with the enemies. And I'm not talking about specific. I think Republican and Democrat got some issues, as well as independents. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm just saying, if you say that you love a country, and that you, you'd make, you make things that the country was not founded on, it's hard for people to believe you love the country because the actions show differently. So if I love God, and if I'm doing everything that is completely opposite to what his kingdom stands for, it's hard to, 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 to say, well, I, I believe in God because I'm siding with the enemy in my life. Listen, I went to Bible studies. I like Christian songs, even though some was really cheesy. I'm not going to name names. But my life was holding me back. I want to say something for parents. Your kid is in the far country, sitting in the pig's pen, eating pig slop. The greatest thing that you can do for them is two things. Pray, pray your face off for them and keep getting them to come to church. But here's the, here's the challenge. Make your life appealing to them. Don't, don't be the kind of parents that come to church, carry your 10-pound King James Bible, and then go home and beat your kid over the head with it, lovingly summon them to church. Because here's the deal. They're getting a lot of the world out there, and their heart is becoming ice 
cold. When you bring them to church and they sit under the anointed preaching of the gospel and hear anointed worship, what you're doing is you're getting warm water on that ice, on that ice, ice box, piece of ice of their heart, and you're stopping it from getting freezer cold. You're constantly getting them in the warm water, and it's melting. That's what you need to do. But a lot of them don't want to come because they're parents. It's like, why would I want to go? You know my mentality? When I was going to church, I would say, God, if these people go into heaven, hell ain't going to be that bad. It's true because the things I was seeing. I mean, I was seeing almost fist fights during business meetings. I'm like, what? I'm not even going. <laughs> I didn't see some stuff. But uh, the, the issue is I was like the rich young ruler. I was a seeker, but I was holding on to my property. But the ruler came, threw himself at Jesus' feet with a posture of humility and said, what do I do to be saved? What good thing can I do? So number three, he came to the right place. He came to the very word of, of life. He came to Jesus. There was impossible for false doctrine to come out of Jesus' mouth. There is no name under heaven given that men can be saved, according to Acts 4.12. He had an audience with the king. Now listen, point number four, he asked the normal question. I want to camp out here for a couple minutes. He asked the question that everyone asked, every religion asked, what good thing must I do? Listen, God never intended you to have to figure out what's good and evil. He never intended you to have that struggle of, is this good, is this bad? The knowledge of the tree of good and evil, the knowledge of the good is just as bad as the evil. That's, that's what people don't understand. We, cause now that good comes into the picture, now we trying to weigh stuff. We, we trying to be like, oh, this is good. This is good. Man, I didn't do nothing bad today. Praise God. I love you, Jesus. Bad thought comes. I rebuke you, devil. And we're, we're looking at this fake war that we're in versus our good versus our evil. It's the civil war of the soul. Your flesh battling the spirit. So it's, and Jesus gives the same answer. Only God is good. Satan slithers into the garden and tells Eve and Adam, God don't want you to eat from this tree because he don't want you to be like him. But they were already like him. God didn't want them to have to process good and evil. God had given them everything they needed in the garden. That's why Jesus said, only God is good. So if you think about it, it's the age-old dilemma playing right out in front of us. Muslims strap bombs to themselves and kill people because they think that's good. No? If you think about it, all religion is trying to ease toward the good. This good thing, it makes me feel good, so therefore I must be right with God. It's the same thing. It's the afterglow of the garden. Now, if you think about this, as you keep going down Cain and Abel, Cain thought that his, his offering that he had with his hands was good. So therefore, he presents it. God says, I reject it. It's not a blood sacrifice. He gets mad, gets jealous at Abel, kills Abel. That's religious war. That's what you see today. Killing over religion. Then you have Abraham. God tells him he's going to have a son. They come up with this plan that seems good. 
and they go that route, and now we have a Middle Eastern war on our hands. Right? That's a fact. Now, when you think about this, it's the Pharisaical mentality that still prevails today. Now, this is what I would have thought Jesus would have said. John 6, 28 through 29. Therefore, he said to him, what shall we do that we may do the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. That now that he didn't say the law. He said, believe that's our work. Now, we're not judging Jesus by evangelism standards of today. He knew the heart. Matthew 19, 17. Why are you asking me what is good? There is only one good. But if you wish to enter eternal life, keep the commandments. Once again, we talked about that. Now, to the casual reader, oh, look, a contradiction. They keep saying all you have to do is believe, have faith. Jesus is telling them you got to keep the contradictions. So if you think, you got to keep the commandments. So if you think about it, that's where people say, look, Jesus said that we got to keep the commandments. And a bunch of cults go by that. That's, that's true. You ain't saved unless you go to church on Saturday in some people's belief system. That's a commandment that people put in front of people and say, look, if you, we're the ones that's right. That, how many times have you heard that? Oh, we're the only ones, us four and no more. That's the, that's the old saying. You might know those saying. You probably heard that before. Okay. It's a saying that's, you know, it's like the church tries to be exclusive and keep you out. That's not the gospel. Jesus wants you in. Now, let's look at what he got wrong really quick. He was self-righteous, even though he came humbly. See, he did not see himself as a sinner. But he didn't have the feeling of righteousness because that's only what Jesus can give. So he came there with this preconceived notion of what righteousness is. My question is like, dude, if you're doing everything, why you don't feel right? But because those things will not make you righteous. This, you see this all the time. The world's falling around, down around people, and they come to the Lord, and as soon as that bind leaves, they leave. But listen to me, and listen to me well. Sometimes it's better to be bound by circumstance if it ties you to the altar. I'm dead serious. You may not like the stuff you're in, but if it keeps you closest to God, then tie it up and let's get the burning going. You know, if you think about it, a lot of people, when everything is going good, well, they forget God. But listen, the rich young ruler, everything was going good. And he can't, so is he not seem better than people that come? And when all, all the world, got, like they laying down and they have nothing? This guy came when he, everything was going good. He had property. He was a leader. And yet, he still walked away grieved. So when you look at the situation, Jesus was not looking to give him quick relief because Jesus was not trying to make a false convert. He wasn't trying to just get him on a church roll. Now, I'm going to go quickly here. Paul told us that the law is our schoolmaster. In Galatians 3.23, it says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we may be justified by faith. Listen, the law is here to show you you can't keep it. They got people trying to keep the law. It's like you're on a hamster wheel. You can't. Jesus said if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. If you hate in your heart, you've, it's like you've murdered someone. 
So Paul goes back and he, he writes the book of Romans. The first three chapters is about the condemnation of mankind and the rest is about grace. And Paul said, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. So if anybody had the right to boast, it was Paul. But see, the ruler did not acknowledge his sinfulness. See, we measure ourselves by Ted Bundy and Charles Manson. We like, well, I didn't do that. But we got to measure ourselves up to Christ and his word, and we fail every time. I used to say to the Lord, well, man, I went out, but look, everybody else sleeping till two. At least I'm here for ten. This is my good thing. At least I'm not like this one and that one. That's what the Pharisees did. I'm not like this tax collector, this sinner. Number two, he never acknowledged his guilt. Matthew 19, 20. I kept all these things. What am I still lacking? If I'd have been Jesus, I'd have been like, you tell me. You came to me. <laughs> what, what do you mean, what are you lacking? But it's, this is where it gets really interesting is why Jesus presented the law. Now, you, there's no way that, let's clear this up. There's no way this guy kept the law. Don't think like, man, maybe it could be kept. No. This dude had hate in his heart, just like anybody else. Some Pharisee tripped over their robe or something. Maybe this Pharisee was talking about this one. I mean, there's no way he didn't have something in his heart. The Bible says if you break one commandment, you've broken them all. So that's the key. He never acknowledged his guilt. He was either lying or he was clueless. So this is the life application for evangelism. When you're talking to someone and they're like, I'm good. I'm, I'm a good person. Give them the law. Okay, well, have you ever did this, this, this? Okay, then by your own admission, you're a living, thieving, adultering murderer. And so if you stand before God, what are you going to say? Now, if they come to you humbly, say, man, I made a mess. I, I, I destroyed everything. I, I need the Lord. Give them the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace side. You know what I mean? Because they already know they messed up. They already know, they, we're not here to say, hey, man, you did this, huh? Yeah, yeah, grovel. God will forgive you once you grovel. I heard a preacher say this one time, and it, man, it changed the way I viewed things. He said that there was somebody sitting in the pew, and they came up to the altar, and they began to weep and cry. And, and just uh, horrendous, just falling at the, asking for mercy. And there was an altar worker that was sitting in the front pew, and he kept wanting to make a break to go and console. And, and he was like, and the guy was just like, and finally he ran and he said, sir, go back to your seat. Stop trying to comfort what God is breaking. And it's like, oh. So sometimes we get in the way. When God's really convicting, really, I'm talking doing heart surgery, and we like, oh, let me give you some more anesthesia. There you go. How you feel? Sometimes you just got to let God do what he wants to do and watch the regeneration process get up when they walk away. You know, it's, the, it's good to be there to comfort, but you have to have the mind of the Lord when you're thinking about consoling when someone's crying. That's a whole different deal. <laughs> but I just want to tell you, listen. The Lord knows what he's doing. He does. We get in the way a lot of times more than, and, and I think God still honors that. But be mindful when you lead someone to the Lord, when you pray for them, all of these different things. You know, somebody's dealing with something. Oh, just trust God, brother. Man, shut up. <laughs> just trust God, brother. 
probably shouldn't have said that, but okay. The, the richer, <laughs> like you fired. I'm just joking. Uh, no, but if you think sincerity doesn't save, if you sincerely want to get to my house, and I tell you I live in New Iberia, if you head towards Baton Rouge, you can be as sincere as you want. You ain't getting to my house. So sincerity does not produce salvation. Christ produces salvation. Now, Mark 10, 21, I never read this before. You, have you read this? Listen to this. And looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. I ne- never read that. This man was like, I kept that, Lord. I did that. All these things that you say, I- I've done that. And Jesus was like, bless his heart. I love you. But I can't save you if you don't acknowledge your inability to please my father. Now, look at the patience the Lord had with him. I promise you that ruler was sincere. He wasn't trying to trap Jesus. He had a lot to lose if he was trying to trap him, but he didn't. Number three, the ruler did not entrust or believe. I want to bring this out. Listen, we have the Bible in every translation. I mean, you got picture Bibles, and we still don't believe. (laughs) We're no different than the rich young ruler, if you think about it. Now, why did he bring up the, the commandments? Listen, the last thing that Jesus says here is he tells them to go and sell everything. Jesus never told anybody else that. He gives them the final test to expose his heart. What he was saying is, are you willing to obey anything I ask? And believe me, Jesus is saying the same thing to us tonight. Now, his possessions was his God. Jesus does not give him the first four commandments. He gives him the last ones. The, Jesus, remember Jesus said, what are the greatest commandments? Love the Lord God yourself as your, as your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus is like, I can already tell you you didn't do the first four because your possessions is your God. But let's see if you really think you kept the second man to man, because the other one is man's relationship to man. Let's see if you kept that. So what he did was he said, sell everything to the people you say you love. Empty it. And the, the rich young ruler was like, no. So what Jesus was saying is, I know you think you're keeping the law, but you broke the first four and you broke the last six, if I did the math right. So if you think about that, Jesus, that's why he brought it up. He was saying, you think you're righteous? Wall. Here's the wall. And I can't see you with the wall. That's my point. But the Bible says in Mark 10, 21 through 22, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor, and you shall receive treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But on all these words, his face fell, and he went away grieved because he owned much property. Think of that. Now, if you look at the story of Zacchaeus, let's show the picture of the tree. I like to show pictures. This is the tree entering into Jericho where Zacchaeus would have been. Now, Zacchaeus was a rich person. He had tax. He had a tax like an H&R block. Matthew probably worked one of his booths. <laughs> what? I'm serious. That's what he was. Uh, Luke 19, 8 through 10. Let me read it to you really quick. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. 
Lord, and if I have cheated people in the, on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to his home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. I want to show you a picture. I thought that was cute. What are we holding on to? And what is Jesus willing to give us in the place of that? What if that little bear is unforgiveness and bitterness, but you crying out to God for peace, joy, and mercy, and, God's, and Jesus is like, give me the forgive, unforgiveness. Give me the bitterness. I'll give you the joy. Don't you think joy is bigger than bitterness? Y'all like walking around looking like you suck lemons? I don't like that. That You know that little, you know, you know what I mean? So You know what I mean. I'm not the only heathen in here. When you're mad at someone and you're like, hmm, I just, whatever. You mention their name, you walk away from the conversation. That ain't good. That's good. And listen, that's not boundaries. That's walls. <laughs> that's walls. When you can't see the other person, you got a wall. That's not good. You, gotta, you can have boundaries, but not walls. I ain't trying to spiritualize it, but that's what it is. Now, I said all that to say, I came to the point where I said, God, I give you this property, my, my, my lifestyle, all of this. I just, I don't want it anymore. And that's how salvation happened. So what is that? Can we stand? What is the one thing that's hindering you from coming in? It might be me. You know, I hope I'm not hindering you. <laughs> it's time to wrap up. But if you think about it, I was holding on to the world as much as I, oh, Jesus, I want you to. Jesus was like, no. No, because Jesus would say, if you're not willing, and you can go read this in Luke 14, 25 through 35. I'm not going to read it to you. But Jesus says, if you're not willing to hate your mom and dad, and anybody else, and I don't mean hate, because I don't want you to read that and be like, oh, man, I don't know if I can serve Jesus. It means that don't prefer nothing over me. And whatever I am asking you to give up, give up. Because this is the deal. We want Jesus to be Savior. We don't want him as Lord. We don't want him as Master. And we don't want him as friend. A lot of people don't. They just want that, that fire insurance. And, and you can't come to the Lord on your terms. You come to the Lord on his terms. I'm not saying he's going to tell you give up all this stuff, but it's a picture of saying, where is your allegiance? Is it to me, which is Christ, or is it to the stuff you have? So as we close up, I want to ask you if there's anybody here that has never surrendered all to Jesus. I want to see your hand. Because I want to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Praise you, God. I see your hand. I see your hand. I want everyone to pray this prayer with me. And, and once again, it's not the prayer that saves you. It's the fact that you mean it. And listen, after you pray the prayer, the, the evidence that you have come to know him is that you will live a life of repentance and faith. That's the evidence. I don't want you to say, well, I prayed a prayer. I did what the preacher told me to do. There needs to be some fruit that comes out of that. And the Bible says, then you will know that you have come to know him. Okay, so dear Heavenly Father, I ask you to forgive me 
and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I acknowledge that I have sinned before you, but I look to Christ who took that sin upon himself to give me salvation. Now I confess that Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Thank you for saving me. Help me live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to encourage you, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, come up to the altar and talk to us. We want to give you a gift. And to the others, listen, if the Lord is showing you some things, like the picture with the little bear, I'm not saying he's going to give you a bear, give it to the Lord. Say, God, I don't, if this is hindering, look here. And you watch the Lord give you more than what you've asked. And I'm not talking about material possessions. That could be. But I'm talking about just the things that you need to get through life and soar abundantly. In Jesus' name, I thank you for this time in your word, God. Father, I ask that you would be with each person as they go their way. Bless them with what we talked about tonight, God. And Father, we glorify you. In Jesus' name, I pray and ask. Amen and amen.